Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. When Harold Kushner's three-year-old son was diagnosed with well, this incredible incapacitated disease, if you will, that was meant the boy would only live until his early teens. Harold was faced with one of the most difficult questions, if you will. You go, what was that? He would often ask, why, God? Why? Here's my three-year-old son. Why? Years later, the rabbi Kushner wrote a straightforward, elegant contemplation of the doubts and the fears that arise when tragedy strikes. We know it as when bad things happen to good people. As a matter of fact, we use that quote a lot. But he actually wrote a book. He went on, it went on to be a number one bestseller. Why do you think that is? Because again, we live in a world that we often ask, why? Why, God? Why do bad things happen to good people? And we often consider ourselves good if we can compare to the rest of the world. Well, I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do. That's who I am. And we consider ourselves good. But, but when you really think about it, we, we do that and we go, well, why would anything, why would anything bad happen? Well, in his classic, he writes this book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, he offers a clear thinking and consolation in times of sorrow. Now, I don't know how many of you read the book or you're going, that's the first time I ever heard of it. I know the quote, but I didn't really know there was a book. But we do often quote when we're faced with tragic situations or when you and I read about good, good people who who faced with adverse circumstances. Why, why does this happen? I often imagine the cry of such people when they hear the bad news. When, and if we're being honest in church, when we walk into the doctor and the doctor says, yeah, it's, it's cancer. Wait, what? Lord, I, I'm not... <laughs> wait, Wait, what? Lord, I felt like I've been good all my life. I've, I've tried to follow you. I've tried to do the thing. Wait, and, and so can you imagine? And, and, and a lot of questions, a lot of times we question the God of the universe, and the question is why? I don't understand why. Why do bad things happen to good people? And then as I thought about, as I thought about this, I thought, what about, what about a little bit closer to home? Because I bet every one of us in this room have had somebody that we go, why? I'm not, I'm not, I don't understand why. And I brought it a little bit closer to home and, and, uh, I, I can't tell you how many times in my life that I've often wondered the same thing. For example, when I catch wind that a brother, a pastor friend of mine, serving Jesus, preaching the truth, is now diagnosed with brain cancer, only to die a few years later and to leave a young wife and two little boys. Why? God, I don't understand why. 
Why? That's a little bit closer to home. Many of you may or may not know, but I wrestled with God for a moment when my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. So you've got to understand my story. My story was when I was 18 months old, my mom died of breast cancer. When I was, when I was 13 years old, my sister died of lung cancer. And then now, my wife comes to me and the doctor says, it's cancer. I, I'm, Lord, Lord, seriously? And I remember thinking, Lord, this is my wife. She's serving you in ministry. She's a great mother to our kids. She's a great grand, she's going to be a great grandmother to our, 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 do- our granddaughter. Why? Why? One situation that really broke my heart was a fellow by the name of Pastor Brett Merrick. And Pastor, Pastor Brett Merrick had a six-year-old daughter who fought cancer. And following his story, she would get better, it would go away, only to return several months later. He would go in and, and, and now we're, listen, you and I as adults, okay, okay, Lord, let's go. But you're talking a six-year-old little girl. And Brett took a leave from the pulpit, ended up in Israel trying to do every, everything that you can possibly do to save his baby girl, only for her to close her eyes and be in the presence of the Lord. Why? Why? Listen, the reason I tell you this is not to bum you out on a Sunday morning, but I tell you because I believe it's what Paul is really wants to illustrate and what he's trying to teach us. You go, Ben, what, what, what is Paul trying to teach us? You ready? Adversities in life, listen, can be opportunities for the gospel in Jesus Christ. Adversities in life, if we have the right perspective. Now, Let's look at Paul for just a moment. Think about Paul. Put on, put on your thinking caps for a second. Really, up until the Damascus Road, Paul probably lived a pretty normal life. You see, at a young age, Saul at the time, he learned to work with his hands. He, his trade, tent making, he was very good at it. He practiced it even after he got saved. But in Philippians chapter 3, 5 through 7, we actually get a little bit of Paul's resume of who he was. Think about this. Philippians 3, 5 through 7 says, Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, oh, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which, which is in the law, blameless. Look what Paul's saying. He's going, man, listen, if there was anyone who was more like me, It'd be me. You understand that. I, I, am, I mean, I did everything right. And then Paul, on the road to Damascus, do you guys remember that? Paul gets saved. And all of a sudden, the very first thing that happens when Paul got saved is he was blind. He was blind. The light was so bright, he was blind for three days. He had to be led by the hand. And then the Lord shows him the sufferings he's going to partake in. 
Let me tell you the sufferings a little bit about Paul. Why? Because I want to give you the perspective. You and I should leave here going, man, how can I be more like Paul? In the sense of, okay, our goal is to be like Jesus, but I want to, I want to know what makes Paul tick. What, what, what is it? Because Paul was human. And I, 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 well, I'll think about this. Paul says, here are the stuff. He says, in labors, more abundant. You go, what do you mean? Paul worked harder than any of us. And I feel so ashamed because there's times I'm like, Lord, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. Ministry's hard. I'm just tired, Lord. And, and, and Paul's like, really? Really, Ben? What'd you do this week? No, I, I didn't play golf, Lord. I mean, I, no, I didn't. I'm just kidding. But you know what I'm saying? I wouldn't want to be in the same line as Paul <laughs> to receive, to receive any, type of, any type of reward. Now, Paul, you go ahead. You can have mine, bro. Listen. Why? Because, because here's what he says. He said, I worked harder than anyone for the gospel. He says, in stripes above measure. In stripes. You know what that means, right? They beat him. He says, in prison more frequently. So you and I, I mean, think about this. Paul goes, listen, I'm going to preach the gospel. You're going to prison. How much trust do you have to have in God versus the judicial system when you're being falsely accused and being put in prison? Paul says, think about this. He says, he faced death more. You realize that they, they, they beat Paul so bad Left him, drug him out to the city, left him for dead. You know what he does? He gets up and goes back into the city and preach. You know what I would do? Shine, you guys. I'm out of here. I'll go on to someone who wants to listen. Not Paul. Paul goes, I mean, think about it. Eyes like Rocky, you know, all bloodied and caked on. I'm back. He was like, ah. And this is one that blows my mind. From the Jews, he says, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. In other words, they, they beat him five times, 39 lashes. Okay? I want to give you a mental image. Think about what his back and front look like. You see, they whipped my Jesus 39 times, but Paul, they tried to kill him. You see, because they often said that the whipping would kill him. And I want you to think his back probably looked like each time just shredded. Just shredded. I can tell you right now, most of us probably, if not all of us, would have quit. Would have quit. Hit me once, ow. Hit me twice, I'm out. So there's something that Paul has that he wants to teach us. Because he says, not only was I, was I just beaten, he says, I was beaten with rods. And then he says, and I was stoned with rocks. Okay, let's just make sure we get that with rocks, not the Colorado stones. He was stoned with rocks. You know what they would do with rocks? They'd push you to the edge, they'd throw you over, blindfolded, and then they would throw, they would, can you imagine? This is Paul. This is, this is what he says. And he says, three, t- <laughs> three times I was shipwrecked. Okay? I mean, wow. Paul, he's like, please don't let me go on a boat. I'll do anything. I'll walk. I'm just not getting on a ship again, okay? <laughs> Why? Well, three times. I don't know, man. 
Now, what I want you guys to grasp, and if you're taking notes, jot this down. Paul was not only saved, but he was in full-time service to the Lord. You go, amen, amen. So all of these things happen, but you know what jumped out at me as I was studying? Three points jumped out. You go, what's that? Number one, could you do me a favor? Could you pray for your pastor? And I, and I don't mean, you know, I mean, I mean really pray. You see, our pastors need them more and more as the days grow evil. The enemy want. listen, I don't know if you get this, but the enemy wants to destroy this church. He's doing everything he possibly can. Do you realize 1,784 pastors quit each month? They quit. They say, we're out. The, the battle is real. Your pastor, your pastors are not perfect. They're just men who are trying to serve the Lord in the capacity that God has called them. And so the congregation should have some grace upon them, pray for them, love them, encourage them. 1,784 this month will say, I'm done. I'm out. Number two, many of us are not called into full-time ministry. But as believers, you're all called to ministry. And therefore, you must realize the spiritual attacks on your life. You go, what do you mean? The moment you stepped from darkness to light, the enemy was upset. And he's going to do everything he can to try to discourage you, get you to quit, put you on the shelf, I'm out. This is what he's trying to do. This is what the enemy does. Number three, listen, we all experience adversities in this life. How do we view them is what's key. How do we view them what's key? Now, for the sake of our study, let me unpack just a couple of the words, because I said adversities. You go, what's adversities mean? Well, it's an unfavorable fortune or fate, an adverse or unfortunate event or circumstances. So it's not favorable. You know, you, you, you have a difference between adversities and opportune, or um, circumstances. We're going to face all of these. You're going to face both adversities, unfavorable, this is not good, this is not good, this is not good. You'll still have circumstances. Sometimes circumstances can be good, and sometimes they can be bad. But what Paul wants to teach us is that they're, they're full of opportunities. Opportunities, yeah. An opportunity is a situation or condition favorable for the attainment of the goal. For the attainment of the goal. I want you for just a moment to think of your life. And I want you to think of it a hundred years from now. A hundred years. I'm looking at Eva, she's going, are you crazy? Are you crazy? I won't be here. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I'm thinking, wow, what's the goal? What's the goal for Eva? What's the goal for all of us? It's the gospel. It's to depopulate hell and populate heaven. That's the goal. That's the goal. 
So I need opportunities. I need opportunities. So moving forward, let me remind you what we talked about last week. Last week, we discovered five blueprints for joy. Joy. You go, what were they? Remember? Number one, joy is found in serving the Lord. To be a full-on bondservant. In other words, look at me. We don't have one foot in the world and one foot trying to serve God. We're fully committed followers of Jesus Christ. That's when you get full joy. It's all going to tie in, trust me. Number two, joy is found in understanding grace. When we understand his grace, that leads to peace with God. Peace with God. That's a, that's a beautiful blueprint. Number three, joy is found in making beautiful memories with the body of Christ. In service, in, in community, in gathering, going, oh man. Oh man, this is so cool. Remember when me, remember Jeremiah when you and I went out and man, that was awesome. And we just, we just made this memory that's gonna, that's gonna bond us as brothers for, this is what he's saying. That's where joy comes. Well, one of these days, Jeremiah is gonna, he's gonna grow up and, not that you're little, but you grow up and he's gonna go off and he's gonna be a doctor and I'm gonna go to him for free healthcare. And, but I have that joy with my brother. Hey, hey, Jim, remember what? Yeah, I remember, man. I remember. Wow, that's cool. That's cool. That's joy. Joy is found, listen, in loving God and loving his people. Pastor Ben, I don't love people. They bug me. They're a pain. Take a step back and find out why you're being robbed of that joy. Is it your expectations? Is it your expectations? Oh, well, I, I, I just expect you. Or is it going, you know what? I just love people. You see, my brother, he may not be in the same, he might not be walking the same pace as me, but my brother's walking. I love that. See, he doesn't read the Bible like I do. See, I read the Bible every day. I mean, God's word, I pray three times a day. I fast and I give a t- you know I sound like a Pharisee. We got no 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 no. Listen, we need to love people and go. Wow, wow, you're you're walking, you're walking. He's saved, he's saved, he's saved. Yeah, yeah. Number four, joy is found in a true prayer-filled life. Can I encourage you, church? Make sure you have a prayer journal. I know, it's work. Sometimes we, because you know what happens. You know what happens. Okay, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. Lord, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I think. Bring. What's that? Oh, yeah, let me answer this text right away. Okay, yeah, send. Lord, I'm, where was I? Okay, Lord Jesus, I pray, and, and just, Lord, we just come. Bring. Oh, that's a funny TikTok. <laughs> wow. <laughs> four, four hours. You, who said that? Yeah, you watch TikTok. That's the problem. See, four. But if you have a prayer journal, it can focus us back to, okay, who do I need to pray for? Who do I need to pray for? Who, who's, who's on my heart today? Oh, I want to pray. I want to pray. What did Paul pray for in the book of Ephesians? Oh, 
You see, sometimes we get caught up in the, well, I need to pray that he you know, stops drinking or needs to do, needs to do all this. Paul says, no, I pray that they would be strengthened with the Spirit of God. They would understand how big Christ is in their life. How they would, hey, you just got to pray, yes, yes. So we found, we discovered in, in just those verses last week, five blueprints for joy. And now, this morning, I get to see a little bit of Paul's heart. So go with me to verse 12. Adversities are full of opportunities. Notice what Paul says. We're going to read, we're going to read 12 through 14 because this is the same thought. Notice the period at the end of fear. So, so Paul says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has been become evident to the whole palace guard and to the rest that in my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident in my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. That's Paul's thought. You go, okay, what did he say? I don't know, but no, I'm kidding. Um, in verse 12 through 14, it's just one thought. So let's, let's unpack it. Okay, let's see his heart. Look at verse 12 again. Paul writes, but I want you to know, brethren, the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And I just put, wow, wow. If you were to say, Ben, how close are you with Paul? I feel like I'm miles apart from Paul. Paul's saying, the things that happened to me, they're for the gospel. These, these things happen. I'm going, the things that happened to me are all your fault. Everybody's mad, you know? feel like Eeyore, right? Everybody hates me. Nobody likes me. I think I'll just go eat worms kind of thing. That's, that's how we feel, but I want to I learn. And so he says, listen, listen, notice the heart of Paul. It's so amazing because as he writes this letter, what's he doing? The Philippian believers, they, they, were, they were hearing that Paul wasn't doing well. Hey, did you hear about Paul? He's in prison. No, he's not in prison. No, he's not doing... Listen, this could be it. This could be it. He, he, oh, man. And, and, and what does he do? Paul's close to going home with Jesus, and yet Paul wants to encourage them over his current situation. His current situation. See, Paul doesn't want anything to distract from the mission. What's the mission? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there's two words that jump out here if you're taking note. Paul says, I want you to know. And that word is gnosko, gnosko, and it means to feel to be aware, to understand. I love that. I was, trying to, I was trying to picture what Paul wanted me to know. He goes, I want you to know. I want you to understand. I don't want you to just think. Because what what's, what's good, church? When we don't understand, we make up our own scenarios, don't we? Well, there's Paul. He's probably sitting at the, at the prison just, oh, man. Well, listen, if, if Paul's going to be put in prison and almost die, I don't want to do this Christianity thing. What happens if that's me? Paul's like, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. He says, I want you to know. But one of the things that jumped out is the word brethren, guys, because he's saying my brothers, and if it's translated out, it means family. So Paul understood saved or not saved at the point, that's family. Now he's talking about brethren, so he goes, these are, these are, this is the church, but, I, but, but you've got to see the heart of Paul. You've got to see the heart of of Paul. And what does he write? He says, my adversities in ministry. And you could write my adversities in life actually turned out for the good as I got to preach the gospel in my chains. Put your thinking caps on for a moment because 
Pastor Warren Wearsby writes this, and I'm going to quote him. The same God who used Moses' rod, Gideon's pitcher, David's sling, used Paul's chains. Little did the Romans realize that the chains they affixed to his wrists would release Paul instead of bind him, close quote. You go, wow, wow. I want to pause here for just a moment. I would like to encourage you, wherever you are, listen, God can use your current adversities, circumstances, to further the gospel. To further the gospel. Listen, when you and I have the right perspective as fully devoted followers of God, then we see things as opportunities to further the kingdom. Further the kingdom. Although life can be hard, can I get an amen? amen. How life can be difficult amen. and painful. Amen. With the right attitude and the right perspective, they can be Wonderful opportunities for Jesus. This morning when I got up, I asked Nathalie, do you ever think Paul complained? Because according to this, Paul never complained about his chains. Not once do we read, oh, oh, Lord, I just want to quit. I'm just tired. Father, you know, listen, when I, when I went to heaven and I saw stuff, man, I was good. Just keep me here. But we're not sure. But if I know Paul was human, he probably felt overwhelmed at times and felt like quitting and felt like, why me? Why me? But Paul never, Paul never really complained about his change. You know what he did? This, this is going to help you, church. You ready? Instead, he consecrated them to God. He consecrated him to God. And then he said, Lord, these chains are yours. These chains, this circumstances is yours. And then he asked God to use them to populate heaven and depopulate hell. And you know what God did? He answered his prayer. He said, Amen. Amen. There's no self in that prayer, guys. There's no self. It's hard. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. It's not, an, it's not an easy... Well, Pastor, we went to Calvary Chapel Sunday morning. Next thing you know, I'm like, Apostle Paul, I'm just walking in. It's hard. We have to take that step of faith. We have to work hard in the sense to go, Lord, give me the right perspective in every circumstance. Because circumstances are going to come your way. Things are going to come your way. Things that you don't understand, that you go, I don't understand why this is happening to me. I don't understand why this happened to a brother. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand. But if you and I were to consecrate our circumstances, now, now let me say this, whether good or bad, because sometimes good things happen to us, man. You're like, wow, I went to work and got a, got a $10,000 bonus. <laughs> New pool, you know, whatever it might be. It's like, no, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, no, I'm, we're, we're putting in a pool, Pastor. No, hold on, did you pray? No, 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 we have baptisms and everything. I'll consecrate to God. No. What if you said, hey, Lord, thank you. What do you want me to do with this to further the gospel? Uh, God said no pool. 
got a little static here, Lord. I thought you said no pull. You know I want to pull. He's like, no, I, I want you to do with this with it. You see, we have a choice. So whether good or bad, good or bad, good or bad, we consecrate them, and then we ask the Lord again. He said, Lord, and he'll answer you. He'll answer you. When you and I take Christ into every circumstance, we can have joy. Now, you're looking at me and you say, amen. Can I get an amen? amen. No, don't say amen because you know it's not that easy. You go, I'm going to take every circumstance. So there I am at the grocery store and, and it's a mess and people, and, 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 and man, I got in a big old fight in the, in the frozen food aisle, you know, and it's like, how am I going to take Jesus in this? It's hard. And so we go, amen. No, 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 no. But really, when we, when we, when we purposely just say, Christ, you need to be in this, Lord. You need to be glorified in this. I can't, I can't handle this. Man. See, what you need to jot this down, this is so important. We're not prisoners of our circumstances. We're not prisoners of our adversity. Our bonds are to Christ alone. Remember, being the blueprint for joy is being a true bondservant for Christ. Let me just give you some encouragement. Can I do that? Everything you go through is father-filtered. So everything the enemy is going to go shoot at you has to go to God first. Now God looks at it and goes, okay, my servant, I want him to grow a little bit, so I'll go ahead. And so you go through some stuff, you go through some tribulation, you go through some trials, you go through some stuff that makes you want to quit. God is trying to grow you for his glory. But, but I, I, have, I, have, I have a little bit more joy and peace knowing that God had to approve it. So he must know what's best for me. That doesn't mean I like it down here. But I say, okay, God, I have peace. It, it has to go through you first. Nothing, the enemy can do nothing to you unless it's Father filtered. And so that, that should be your first going, amen, okay, yeah, it's got to go through God first. Okay, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. So, our question would be, Ben, how? How do we have the right perspective? How does my adversity work for good? Now, let me tell you the difference. There's a difference between why God? Come on, somebody. Why? Is that why, why me? Or how? Okay, God, how is this going to work? Okay, let's try it. Let's try it. This is group exercise. Adversity comes, circumstances. Some of us go, why? Why me, God? Come on. When we should be saying, how? How can I grow from this? How can we further the... Let's try it again. Let's see the house. There you go. Verse 13 gives us the answer. Look at verse 13. Paul writes, So it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to the rest that my chains are in Christ. He's saying, For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. Now, if you have a pencil handy, go ahead and circle that word for palace. It can be translated praetorium, okay? And it refers to the unit of elite Roman soldiers, some of whom functioned as the emperor's bodyguard, and others were stationed throughout the empire. Now, catch this. The palace guard usually was about 9,000 strong in Rome. 
But see, Paul didn't minister to all 9,000. He ministered to the one. We're in chains. Let me tell you about Jesus. And then he'd be like, my shift's over. So then he'd go, do you know what I learned today? <laughs> do you know what? And all of a sudden, pff, the gospel spread. You see, listen, this is a great, great point for us to learn as a church. We don't have to know everything theologically about the Bible to be a witness. We just have to tell somebody what we learn. You know what I learned today? What? How did you get joy? Well, how did you? Really, you learned that? Show me where it is. In the, look right here. We learned that. This is crazy. Isn't it crazy? Well, what? Well, what about, what about theology? I don't know, but this is what I learned. And, and what happened, guys, is the gospel spread. The gospel spread. They all, everybody say all, heard the gospel through Paul or various members who had been assigned. Can you imagine if somebody got saved? What happened? I got saved. How did you get saved? Uh, Paul. Paul was telling me about Jesus. And I just felt that I got saved. I got saved. So now I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my wife. And I'm going to tell other. And we have other palace guards coming over for dinner. Says, hey, guess what happened? Well, I got to visit with Paul. And guess what? And now all of a sudden, guards are wanting to, to take that. I'll take that shift. I'll take that shift. Why? Because I want to learn more about this Jesus. I'm saved. And then when they get up, released. Now again, what are we thinking? We're, you and I be thinking, why am I in prison? Okay, my wife, my wife, why are we in my in prison? God's going, let me show you. The how, how is this going to work out? Oh, oh. You see, some of your adversities in life, some of your adversities in work, and work some of your adversities in, in general, some of your circumstances, whatever it might be, God wants to use in such an amazing way. What the enemy thought was a hindrance to the gospel. Got an idea. Let's just chain him up. He can't share if he's chained. <laughs> Ooh, gosh. Was actually the vehicle that God used to see people saved. Come on, that, that's got to encourage you. Why? Because your circumstance, your adversity, your, your things that you go through, the devil wants to shut you up, and that's going to be the vehicle that God uses to see people saved. To see people saved. If you go with us to Israel, I hope you do, we visit a place where Paul was actually under house arrest in prison. It's right off the Mediterranean Sea. And I remember going there, and you could see, you could see all of this. And Joseph, you've been to Israel, right? And, and just, it's just so cool. Now, it doesn't look the same because over time, but you realize that where Paul, where God situated Paul, it was what I call back then their modern-day Internet. You go, their Internet? Why? Because ships would come in, Paul would preach the gospel, they'd get back on the ship, and they'd go to the world. And all Paul had to do is preach, and there goes the gospel through the Mediterranean Sea. And I'm like, man, this, is, this was their modern day. It was instead of click, he was like, they got back on it. And I thought, this was so cool. This was so cool. It's called Caesarea by the Sea. And man, he got the message to the world. You and I, when we visit there, we go, oh, poor Paul. We, I mean, he's in prison. He can't, he can't go to Jerusalem. He can't worship. Now he's, he's getting the gospel out. He's getting the gospel out. Notice verse 14. And most of the brethren in the Lord, okay, having become confident in my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Oh, here's where it gets good. Listen, Paul explains that the fellow believers saw 
all that Paul went through and is going through. And they said, wait a minute, wait a minute. If Paul can preach through adversity, we can too. And they were bold enough to do it. They were bold enough to do it. The word much more bold or that phrase means it was the grandeur, if you will, the the awesomeness of Paul's courage that inspired other believers. In our world today, we have something called influencers. I'm going to grow up and be an influencer. I'm going to get on and I'm going to have so many, many followers and I'm going to be an influencer. Listen, I want to be an, I want to be an inspirator. I want, to, I want to inspire people to follow the Lord. I don't just want to influence. He, the, again, think about what it is. It's like, it was like, man, his courage inspired other believers. And when they tried to shut Paul up through imprisonment, they were constrained to proclaim the gospel. He goes, well, if Paul can't do it, that means we can too. We'll do it. And they were bold. Let me just say this. Listen to me. God made you guys leaders so that you can inspire the people around you. He made you leaders. He's given you the knowledge of the word of God so that you can inspire. And then maybe you don't have an opportunity, but someone that you poured into has a greater opportunity. You guys understand, it's, we're all in this together. And I told you this last week. I said, listen, when you allow me to visit another church and people come forward and get saved, it's to all our account. It's like, wow, because the Lord uses every one of us. Your inspiration to me, your, your commitment to, to financially and prayerfully, God uses us all. In the same way as you're here and you're getting fed and you go out and you minister to people and they get saved, that's to my account too. You see, it's not a selfish thing. Go, oh, well, Pastor Ben, he's, he's got a gift. People come forward. I just, I'm just a messenger. Hey, how many of you want to get saved? Okay. But you've already done the work. And it's, this is it. This is it. Listen to this quote. It says, the secret of this, he says, quote, when you have a single mind and you look on your circumstances as God-given opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel. This is the secret. When you have a single mind and every circumstance you look as a God-given opportunity for the furtherance of the gospel and you rejoice at what God is doing instead of complaining about what God did not do. End quote. <laughs> wow. i got to be honest with you. Lord, that's hard. That's hard. Why? Because I think many of us have the gift of complaining. We have the gift of complaining. We do. It's just natural. It comes out. How do you know it's a gift? It comes out natural. Natural. You can take the most amazing thing and find something wrong with it. It's true. It's true. We have the gift. We have the gift to complain. But but let's change it. How about we don't have the gift of complaining anymore? We don't want that. But we rejoice at what God is doing. We rejoice. Remember your challenge when we started the book of Philippians was what? The the challenge is really simple. It was to find something good in every circumstance. Find even if it's bad, you find something good. If you go to a restaurant, 
And it's the worst service. Anybody have that? The worst food. I mean, just horrible. Can you find something good about that? Or do you want... Let me talk to the manager. But what, can we find something good? Can we find something... Can we go... You know what? Okay, that was a horrible experience. I don't think I'll ever go back, but what did I find good? Well, I got to eat with you. Or I got to, we got to share. Or, or. That's going to change your mindset. That's going to change your mindset about a lot of things. Because the devil will come and go, let me rob you of your joy by allowing you to complain. I'll just rob that. I'll put it in my pocket. And when you're finding good stuff, he's like, oh, oh. Now, some of you have a gift, honestly. You have a gift of just encouraging. You see the good in everything. And people don't like you because you see the good in everything. It's like, stop looking. I love that. I want that. I want to see the good in everything and everybody. Yeah, but what if they end up burning you? I want to see the good in everything and anybody. Because last time I checked, I'm not God. I'm not God. And so I'll let him sort it out. I'll let him work on you. But I want to, I want to encourage you in the good. I want to encourage you in the good. Whenever you took a test and you failed by one or two points, you had two, you had two people speaking to you at that point in your mind. You're, you're dumb, you're a loser, you're this, you're that, or you go, you know what? Okay, I get to retake this. Now I know what I need to look for. I've gained some knowledge, okay. You see, the problem is, guys, is that we put more emphasis on succeeding than we do failing, and failing is where we learn the lesson. And if we could learn the lesson through our failures, we go, okay, now I know what to do. Now I, now I know how to change this. It is making me a better person. But we don't like to go out and fail because nobody likes to fail. But we need to learn. We need to learn. So at this point in our study, I'm wondering, do we, church, listen, use a bad or good circumstance as a wonderful opportunity to share God's love? Do we? Let me illustrate it this way. This morning, I got to pick up Jeremiah. I had the privilege of picking up Jeremiah at his dorm, and, and, and my wife loved her to death, but she was giving away all my illustrations to Jeremiah. I was like, stop talking. I'm going to use that in the sermon. But, but when Nathalie was diagnosed with... You can't... Don't listen to this. You already heard it. But when Nathalie was diagnosed with cancer... Um, we, we had to go to the doctor. We went to a new doctor. Our doctor left. She got diagnosed. We went to a new doctor. The doctor looked and said, listen, Miss Nathalie, I think you need to be on chemo for a whole year. And Nathalie goes, no, I don't think that's really what I want to do. I think, you know what, right now, do I have cancer? And they're like, no, you don't, but we don't know. And, and so he, she goes, listen, if you'll honor and respect, I, I, let me just, let's just watch it. Let's just watch it. And he goes, you'll be, he said something like, you'll be either dead in three months you need to do what I say. And she goes, well, doctor, I respect you, but God has the final word. So he says, okay, okay, let's just watch it. So over the years, we'd go back, oh, Miss Martinez, clean bill. Wow, Miss Martinez, nothing there. Miss Martinez, blood work lifted, Miss Martinez. And, and all of a sudden, Nathalie each time went in and said, God healed me. 
God is good. God is amazing. God healed me. This is good. Well, I don't understand. I mean, I thought, so a year and a half goes by, and he walks in, and he looks at the chart and just shakes his head. And she's smiling, and she's sharing the gospel. She's always like, God, God, God healed me. God healed me. How do you feel? I feel great. She would say, I feel great. I feel wonderful. I'm running five miles a day. And he's like, what? None of my cancer patients run five miles. What is going on? Well, it's the Lord. When the Lord healed me, he healed me. And one day he stood at the door and she goes, he shook his head and he goes, you might just make a believer out of me. You might just make a believer. And, and she was going, yes. Because she took what the devil meant to kill her with and used it for the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that she might, have, she might have died. But in that same circumstance, from the time she got the diagnosis to either healing or ultimate healing, come on, somebody, we can make a difference for Jesus. Perspective. God, I want this perspective. I want this perspective. Now, the scene changes. Okay, scene changes. And, 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 and because Paul, he, he caught wind of missionaries who, in, in Paul's estimation, saw themselves as rivals. So Paul gives the Philippian church even more encouragement. Look at verse 15. He says, Some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some also from a good will. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. You go, Ben, what did he say? He says, it's true. It's true. I heard preaching, they were preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. He says, um, they don't have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. So I thought, wow. Now, how do you have a group of believers who are preaching the gospel because they're jealous of Paul. The Bible says they did it out of ill will and contention. Contention. Now, why would anybody want to do this? Well, these people, most likely Judaizer teachers, if you will, they saw the success of the gospel in the capital of the world. They're like, wow. And they were hoping to get more credit than Paul did. They were looking at somebody else's ministry and go, well, why does he get to? Why does he get to? Paul uses an interesting word here in verse 16, contention, and it means to canvas for office, to get people to support you. You see, Paul's purpose was not to get people to like him, but to glorify Christ and to get people to follow Jesus. And that's what our churches should be. Not for people to like Pastor Ben or Calvary Chapel, but to follow Jesus. That's the goal. That's the goal. Now, it's all sad that these people wanted to promote themselves and win a following of their own. You see, these people, instead of asking, have you trusted Christ, they were saying, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? Is it ours or is it Paul's? The other group that preached, 
Well, they had a sincere heart. Out of love, they said, man, we need to preach the gospel. They knew God had called me to defend the gospel. Church, we need to show honor where honor is due, but we need to continue to do out of a sincere heart and love. I wonder, I wonder what any of us, any of you would do if your critics tried to take credit for something you did. You see, that happens at work all the time. Oh, no, 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 I did that. Oh, no, 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 that was my idea. And you're sitting there going, we had lunch yesterday, I told you all about this idea. What, you're going to the boss with it? I'll show you. I wonder, I wonder what we, what we do if we're working hard and others are bad-mouthing you and your work. I wonder how you would take that. Well, what you know is I saw so-and-so, they were standing around with gossiping. They weren't working. I wonder, you know, and, and, and they want to target you because of your faith. I wonder how we would respond if believers were causing adversity in your life. Yes, I said it, believers. And many of us have come in this room and go, yeah, they're supposed to be Christians. I don't know. I don't. I... They're supposed to be Christians and they're over here gossiping and they're causing. How do we handle that, guys? Ready? Verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. What did Paul say? Ultimately, Paul rejoices in the efforts to spread the gospel, even the ministries of his distractors. Wow. Now, for the sake of time, we are convinced by verse 18 that Paul's critics actually preach Christ. He says they preach Christ, okay? So they're not, they're not, they're not preaching a false doctrine. They're actually preaching Christ. They just have wrong motives. Come on, somebody. So they're still preaching Christ. He goes, okay, they're preaching Christ. Their only fault is really simple, that it was their self-seeking, envious motives. Listen, this might have been a huge adversity for Paul. Wait, wait a minute, what a minute. I'm in prison. Listen, I can't do anything. What are you talking about there out there? <sighs> Paul says, no, no, no. Let, let me remind you. Let me encourage you. He says, God's going to work it all out in the end. He says, and I will rejoice. He says, I rejoice and I will rejoice. That's what Paul says. Now, let me give you some application. You ready? Here's some application. We can apply this several ways. If someone is doing ministry, preaching Christ, you guys with me? With wrong motives, because honestly in our world we have rock star, we have rock star preachers. Okay? We have worldly methods. We have seeker-friendly churches. And what I mean by seeker-friendly is instead of worship playing throughout the whole church building, they're playing secular music, they're playing, they're playing rock and all this stuff. They're trying to get people who would normally not go to church. And so you go, wow, wow that's, this is crazy. And then you have some who not, doesn't necessarily preach the Bible verse by verse, but they get saved. We rejoice in what God is doing. We rejoice, praise God. 
You went to what church? I went to, I went to Seeker of the Friendly World Church, LOL, whatever it might be. I got saved. Amen. Wow. Wow. You see, because salvation isn't a one-time thing, if you will. That's how we get saved. Okay, we're saved. What happens is now we start to grow. It's called discipleship. You have to grow. You have to grow. You have to get watered. So a lot of people get saved from, from some of these ministries, but now they need to get fed. Who are the, who's going to feed them? But let's apply the principle to our lives. You ready? With the right godly perspective, we can have more joy in our lives looking at each circumstance as a way to grow our faith. As a way to share the gospel. Each circumstance might be a new method, if you will, to share God's love. Can I remind you of something? A few short years ago, the government came in. We had such a huge adversity and tried to shut down the church. None of us pastors ever, ever dealt with that. To be honest with you, we were calling each other, what are you doing? I don't know, what are you doing? Do we wear masks? We don't wear masks. I don't know what to do. And, and people were, were taking chairs out, and it'd be two chairs here, and it looked like, man, it looked like bare bones. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. So we added more chairs and let you make the decision where to sit. But, but remind, you guys remember that? It's, it's only been, I mean, it's, and, and, and so this was a huge adversity. You, you're going to need to shut your church down because all of you are just breathing this COVID thing. Oh no, what do we do? Ah. I was talking to Pastor Joseph early before service and he said, he said they opened up earlier than they should have and, and some policemen came over in a ceased in assist in his church. I mean, we, 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 we live in wonderful free Texas, but over in New Mexico, they, could you imagine? Here we are, bless the Lord. And they're like, put your hands up. They were, you know, I mean, <laughs> you need to stop breathing on people. They actually said in California, don't sing. Because when you sing, all of you spit. And you're like, no, I don't spit, I just sing. You know, I'm like, no, you're going to... Here's the point. You go, Ben, get, don't get off track. Okay, here, here it is. Do you remember what we did? We used it as an opportunity to spread the gospel. How? I remember we did drive-by prayer. Hey, if you want to drive-by, we'll pray for you. We'll pray for you. And we, we set it up and we posted it. Drive-by, come on through, we'll pray. And cars would line up and we'd pray for them. Guys, do you remember the compassion you felt and encourage those who were walking around the grocery store bewildered, had no idea what was happening. And you're like, you okay? You okay? Listen, it's, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Yeah, but my wife told me to get five boxes of toilet paper. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. And, all the, and it's like, they were just bewildered. I saw them at Walmart. I was like, wow. And we, and we encouraged them. Guys, we used to have worship services in our driveway and invited all the neighbors just to worship the Lord. We bought food when we heard somebody was sick. Oh, he got COVID. What an opportunity for the gospel. What an opportunity. I'll never forget, Joe Mabry called me up. It was, it was January 1st. Said, he said, Beverly's not going. You need to come over. She wants to do You need to come over. I've got masks, I've got gloves, I've got, he, I mean, I think he had everything like a spacesuit in there if we wanted to. He had the helmet, I mean, 
But he wanted pastor, and so me and Nathalie got in the truck. We flew over there, and we're like, we don't need that stuff. And we were all up in Beverly's business praying for her. But you could have gotten sick. We could have gotten sick anywhere. But our sister needed us because we took an adverse situation and said, God, what's the opportunity here? What's the opportunity? What's the opportunity? Church, as we close our study tonight, today, let me just say this. You ready? Bad things happen to good people. And good things happen to bad people. You're like, <laughs> the goal, you ready? The goal is to be single-minded for Jesus. You go, Ben, what's this single mind? You ready? This single-minded means putting Christ and the gospel ahead of everything else. When we take Christ into every circumstance, we'll still have joy. See, understand, Paul was not a prisoner of Rome. He was a prisoner of Jesus first. You're not a prisoner of your circumstance. You're a prisoner of Jesus first. The soldiers chained to his wrist were not guards. They were souls whom Christ died. The people at your work the people at your school, they're not students, they're not employees, they're souls whom Christ died for. The single-minded Christian does not allow circumstance to overcome him. He or she turns those circumstances into opportunities to magnify Christ and to win souls. As we ponder this message, let it penetrate our lives. How so? Well, in a minute, we're going to take communion. And so we need to get our hearts prepared. And as we get our hearts prepared, just pray silently. The ushers are going to come forward now, and they're going to begin to pass these out. But I want you to do something. I want you to hold on to them before you partake. Go ahead, guys. Come on up. Hold on to them because we're going to take them as a family. But what I want to do is these gentlemen are praying for the communion elements, I want to give anyone here an opportunity to surrender to Christ. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to the Lord. Maybe you're here today and, and, and right now you're saying, Pastor, you were saying some things, but I actually feel like I'm a million miles away from God. Well, today's your day. You go, what do you do? In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity. You just need to simply raise your hand. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And once you once you pray that prayer and mean it with all of your heart, watch what God will do. Pastor, am I free to take communion? Once you're saved, once you're saved, you want to make sure. So with every heart, with every eye closed, every head bowed, if you're here today and you've never given your life to the Lord, would you just lift up your hand right now and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Would you do that right now? Just want to make sure. And if you're lifting your hand, raise it high so I can see it. The communion elements are going to come. Make sure you're right with God. This today, church, is a very serious 
and yet celebration. Here's what I love about communion. Jesus said he wasn't going to do this communion until he did it with us in heaven. So we're not in heaven because <laughs> we're doing it today. But one day, guys, soon, we're going to do it with Jesus in heaven. So this is just a, okay, Lord, we're going to do that. I can't wait to do it with you. You see, because each element, it represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the new covenant. It's not just cracker and juice and this is what we do at Calvary. This is, wow, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. He was buried, rose again on the third day, later ascended to heaven, and now interceding for me. And he's going to come back for me. And I believe this, and I'm going to celebrate that with all of my heart. You go, well, what should I do? What should I do? First and foremost, guys, look deep within your heart. Lord, where am I with you? Where am I? If there's something that you need to confess, confess it. Lord, I, I was bitter with my wife last night, but Lord, I was this. Lord, I was that. Lord, I had a bad attitude. Lord, um, I had awful thoughts. Please forgive me. Just confess that. Get clean with him. Look deep in your heart. Once you're done with that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look back. Look back where, Ben? Look back at all that God has done in your life and thank him for all that he's done. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I'm here. Thank you. Thank you for my life. Thank you that you're living in me. Thank the Lord for circumstances. Thank the Lord for some adversities. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. And last but not least, before we take communion together, guys, I want you to look forward. I want you to look forward for all that God is doing and in, in one day doing communion with him in heaven. The Jews used to say, next time in Jerusalem. Next time, for you and I, we'll say next time in heaven. In heaven. How beautiful is that? The saints in heaven right now are waiting for us. Oh, we can't wait. Oh, they're doing communion. Oh, I can't wait, Lord. When are we going to do communion? Pretty soon. Pretty soon. I have a few more. I just have a few more people that need to get, that need to come home. I love that Paul says that we take communion as a family, brethren. So hold on to this. We're going to take it together. The ushers are almost done, and we'll take communion together. So just be praying. Just be thanking God. Father, we look deep in our hearts and confess our sin to you. Father, we look back with gratitude, Lord. We thank you for who you are in our lives. We thank you for all that you're doing. We thank you for the great love. Father, we look at one day we get to do this with you in heaven. Father, as we lift the elements up to you, we believe with all of our hearts that you died on the cross for us. 
you were buried and resurrected on the third day. We believe you are the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And we look forward to the day that you come and get us. And so, Lord, as we lift these elements up to you, we trust you, we believe in you, our faith is strong in you, and we worship you. We do this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Let's take the bread together. When supper was ended, he took the wine and he said, This is my blood of the new covenant. Do this in the name of you. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.